This morning's scripture is from the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, verses 11 through 18. Hear the word of the Lord. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near, For through him we have both access to the Father by one spirit. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Um, Will you join me in prayer and ask God to bless this time? Heavenly Father, we do give you thanks um, that this is your word. It's not of me. It's not of us. It's of you. And we give you thanks that you speak to us even now through your word. You say that in scripture. So um, I pray that you would do that this morning. Open our eyes, soften our hearts so that we might see what you have to say, that we might listen and take in what you have to say. We ask that you would be with us, you would speak to us, and that at the end of uh, this sermon, we, we might be drawn closer to you, and you might be glorified. In your name we pray, amen. How often do you guys watch the news? Pretty often? Most people do, right? I do. Um, Read it all the time. I'm a bit of a news junkie. I get an email actually every day from the Washington Post being like, hey, here's what's been going on in the world. And um, I used to really absorb it eagerly. Like, hey, here's all the stuff that's going on. But recently I've noticed that I, I mean, I still get all this. I still pay attention, but I don't enjoy it as much as I used to. Um, doesn't it just seem like the majority of what we hear is bad news? I mean, you've got stuff like wars in Africa and in the Middle East that have turned millions of people into refugees. They've had to flee their homes just to survive. And then you hear of countries that either refuse to take them in, they turn them away, or they put them in camps where they live just this paltry day-to-day living. Or you could talk about our own country, where just this past summer there have been several instances where African-American men that were unarmed, have been killed in confrontations by police officers. And then others have killed police officers in retaliation for those deaths. Or you could talk about the upcoming upcoming, uh, presidential election that we're going to have here, where you have two candidates that are very polarizing, and you already have a situation where some supporters of either candidate speak of the supporters of the other candidate with deep vitriol and hatred. And the language is just ridiculous. I could keep going on and on and on, giving you guys more examples, and I don't know about you, but I find it frustrating, depressing, um, because it just seems that our world is fraught with strife and with division and with hatred amongst men. In this passage, we're really in all of Ephesians 2, Paul's really considering one question, and that is, 
what is wrong with the world and how is it fixed? And you could really divide the chapter into two parts. The first part, the first 10 verses, which we looked at last week, Kevin preached on that, talks about our need for resurrection. We're dead. We need to be made alive. Um, I won't get too much into that here because we talked about that last week. That's not what this passage is talking about. It's an awesome sermon. I really encourage you to go listen to it. But in this passage, the one we're looking at today, Paul talks about our need for reconciliation both to God and to fellow men. Because those problems I mentioned that we're facing today, they're not anything new. Paul faced those exact same problems in the first century. So I want to dive in and see what he has to say. Really, three stages. First, three points, right? Good Presbyterian sermon has three points. That's what we're doing. Um, First, Paul says who we were. Secondly, Paul says who we are. And thirdly, he shows us what this looks like to live out relationally. So beginning with who we were, he tells the Ephesians this in the first two verses, saying, Formerly, you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, foreigners to the covenants of promise, without hope and without God in the world. Now, to understand this, especially that first verse, we have to have a better idea of just what relationships were like between Jews and Gentiles, everyone who wasn't a Jew, in the first century when Paul was writing. To put it briefly, they were really, really bad. I mean, the relationships were awful. Let me, let me try and flesh this out for you. To the Jews, the Gentiles were unclean. They couldn't marry a Gentile. To do so was actually a grave sin. They couldn't eat with a Gentile. In fact, they couldn't even eat food that had been cooked by a Gentile or use oil or use wine that a Gentile had touched. They couldn't enter a Gentile's house. To do any of those things was to be contaminated, to be made unclean. In fact, the Apostle Paul, not Paul, Peter, sorry, says in Acts chapter 10, speaking to somebody else, he says, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or visit anyone of another nation. The Jews were to be completely separate from the Gentiles because the Gentiles were unclean. They were dirty. But it went even further than that. Because the Gentiles were unclean, many Jews thought that they, the Gentiles, had been created for only one purpose, to fuel the fires of hell. They actually had a saying, and this this is true, they said the best of the serpents crush, the best of the Gentiles kill. And actually at that time, the Jews could not assist a Gentile woman who was giving birth because that would be to help bring another heathen into the world. Jews didn't just separate themselves from the Gentiles. They hated them. They viewed them as dogs, the lowest of the low, subhuman. And that is what Paul is referring to in verse 11 when he says that the Gentiles were called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is the Jews. They were just labeled uncircumcised and completely written off. I want to say that it would be difficult for us to imagine such a thing. But the reality is it's not, right? 
We have a dark spot in our country's history, that of slavery, where a very similar thing happened, where you had one group of people who looked at another group of people and said, you are less than human. And they treated them the way that they did as a result of that. That's evil and that is wrong. And if you were a Gentile in the first century, you could have several different reactions to this. Um, But if I were in the first century, this is probably what I think I would say. I think we'd be like, okay, fine. They don't like me. They hate me. I hate them too. And just respond to that. It's like, what does it even matter anyway? Why should I care what these people think about me? Paul tells us in verse 12, he says, You are separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, foreigners to the covenants of promise, without hope and without God in the world. You see, Jews weren't just any group of people. They were God's people. Moses wrote in Deuteronomy chapter 4 to the rest of Israel saying, You are a people holy to the Lord your God, and the Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. God chose Israel. He loved them. He brought them out of slavery. He spoke to them. He promised to be with them. He promised to meet with them. And the center of all of this was the temple. It was in Jerusalem. It was God's house. And it's where the Israelites went to worship, to offer sacrifices, to meet with God. And I want you to kind of get an idea of what the temple was like. It was, it was like an onion. It had layers. Onions have layers. The temple had layers, right? So if you're going to visit the temple, if you were going you would draw near and there would be this huge outer courtyard. And inside this massive outer courtyard, there would be the temple complex itself, which was walled off. And once you got through those walls, you'd be in another courtyard. And then you'd have to go through another set of walls and you'd get into another courtyard. And this courtyard was called the Court of the Israelites to represent that Israel was here, and this is where Israel came to be with God, and this is the courtyard where the altar was and the sacrifices were made. And inside that court was the actual temple building itself. If you wanted to go inside the temple, we're getting further down into the onion, you'd find yourself in a room called the sanctuary. At the very back of the sanctuary, behind a huge, thick curtain, was a small room that was the very center of the temple. And that was called the Holy of holies. Really creative name, right? It's the holiest place. We're going to call it the holy of holies. Um, But it was called that because that's where God was. That's where the Ark of the Covenant was, and that's where God's presence was, in the very center of this onion temple. I went through all that because remember that first court that I said, the big one at the very outside? That was called the court of the Gentiles. You know why? Because that's the closest the Gentiles were able to come. Um, There was a warning carved in the walls of the temple complex, the outer, right on the inside of that courtyard. We actually have the stone. It's in Istanbul, Turkey. If you ever want to go see it, this is what it said. No foreigner may enter the barricade, which surrounds the sanctuary and enclosure. Anyone who's caught doing so will have himself to blame for his ensuing death. If any Gentile tried to enter the temple to worship God, they would be killed. The temple represented God's very presence. It was where he was, and the Gentiles couldn't get in. They weren't allowed to get into God's presence. You see, they weren't just far from the Jews. 
And being far from the Jews, they were far from God himself. And that is why Paul says in verse 12 that they were separate from Christ, they were without hope, and they were without God of the world. Now I want to pause and ask a question here. The verse starts, Therefore remember that formerly you who are Gentiles, so Paul's talking to the Gentiles who were in the church in Ephesus, and this was in Asia Minor, it wasn't in Israel, so the church was largely composed of Gentiles. But it would have had Jews in it too. So what about them? Paul writes to the Gentiles, what about the Jews? Go back to the temple. Remember how I said that the Gentiles couldn't get in, but there's layers, and then at the very center was the Holy of Holies, and that's where God was? Here's the thing. Nobody was allowed to enter that room. Didn't matter if you were a Jew or a Gentile. No one could go in. Only the high priest and only once a year in a very special ceremony was he allowed to enter that room into the actual presence of God. And if anybody else tried to do so, to enter in, they would be killed. Not as the Gentiles would have been trying to get in by the Jews, but they would have been struck down by God himself. We have to get this, guys. The Jews were God's chosen people. They did have promises from God. They had the presence. They had the temple. But they still couldn't get into the holy of holies. What this passage is saying, well, the reason that Paul writes to the Gentiles here isn't that they were far from God and the Jews were close to God, although, of course, there's a sense in which the Jews were because they were his people. Paul writes to the Gentiles here because they are a better example of what is true of everyone. Because being far from God has nothing to do with what race you are or with what ethnicity you are. It has everything to do with your heart. And Paul in another letter in Romans is going to say that no one is righteous and that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And because of that, Every single one of us, whether we realize it or not, in our natural state is far from God. We're alienated, we're cut off, and we can't answer his presence, answer, answer, enter his presence. So that's what Paul says. This is who you were. You were cut off from God. You were far. But he doesn't leave it there. Verse 13. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Paul is writing, Jesus came to solve the problem of alienation from God. He came to reconcile us. And because we had run from him and were unwillingly, God came after us, even to the point of becoming man and dying on the cross and shedding his blood for our sins. And when Jesus died, Matthew 27 says that, behold, the curtain of the temple, that curtain that separated the holy of holies from everything else it was torn in two from top to bottom the writer of hebrews says that we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of jesus by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water Because of the sacrifice of Jesus, no longer is anyone 
cut off from God and told, you can't come. Instead, Jesus says, all you who are weary and heavy laden, come to me and I will give you rest. By tearing the temple, the temple veil apart, that represents that the way to God is now open for all those who trust in Christ. We actually just sang about that. I don't know if you caught that. It was in this, the power of the cross. It said, curtain torn in two, dead are raised to life. That's what that is referencing. So if you are here this morning and if you feel far from God, if you feel alienated, if you feel cut off, if you feel alone, the good news is that Jesus came and died so that you might be drawn close to him. The good news is that he doesn't hold you at arm's length, but he welcomes you in. And that's what Paul says in verse 13, that we have been brought near by Christ's blood. All right, three verses down, five to go, right? No, um, I sat on those verses for a while because the rest of the passage flows from those. If we don't get what Paul's saying in those verses, we're not going to get what he goes on to say. So he said, hey, here's who you were, far from God. Here's who you are, close to God. Then he goes and says, what, what impact does he have? What does this look like? Look at his emphasis in verses 14 through 18. He says, made the two one. He says that Jesus preached peace to those who were far, the Gentiles, peace to those who were near, the Jews. He uses both, referring to those groups no less than three times. He says that he broke down the dividing wall of hostility. And most clearly in verse 15, Paul says his, God's, purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace. Paul is saying here, yeah, Jesus came and died to bring us back to God but he also came and died to reconcile us to each other. I'm going to repeat that because that's important. Jesus didn't just come to reconcile us to God. He did, but he also came to reconcile us to each other. You see, all that alienation, hatred, strife, evil that we were talking about earlier— we all know that's wrong, right? Who doesn't look at the state of the world and be like, man, something's wrong. Things need to be changed, right? I mean, that's the stereotypical answer to uh, all of those beauty pageants, right? What, 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 do you, what do you most desire? World peace. People sing songs about it. You know, be, give peace a chance. Imagine what the world could be as one. We all want this. We want to be reconciled together. But what Paul is saying here is that there's a step that needs to take place for that to happen. That we have to be brought back to God first and then it flows out to each other. You see, that's why God commanded the Israelites to be separate from the Gentiles. He commanded that. Um, it was God's command that they were not to marry the Gentiles. It was God's command that the Gentiles weren't to enter the sanctuary. They were commanded to be separate. And that was to show that we need to be brought close to God first and foremost. That was, that was a sign that we are far from him and we can't enter. 
But do you know what God didn't command? The hatred that the Jews had for the Gentiles. He didn't command for them to see the Gentiles as dogs. He didn't command for them to say that the best of the serpents crush, but the best of the Gentiles kill. And he did not command for the Jews to refuse to aid the Gentiles in giving birth so that heathens wouldn't be brought into the world. Because of their sinful hearts, the Jews took the separation that God instituted as a sign and took it way too far and took it into hatred and took us into enmity and strife. And you see, that's the problem with all of us as we relate to each other. Is it's, again, it's not whether you're a Jew or a Gentile. It's, it's in our heart. And unless the hearts of the Jews, unless the hearts of the Gentiles were changed, there is no possibility of reconciliation. Because the root of hatred, war, segregation, racism, every wrong that we commit against each other, the root of it's pride. It's when we see someone and we make a judgment that somehow they're different than us in any way, shape, or form. Maybe it's just that they're not us. And we say internally, they are not as important as me. They are worth less than me. Therefore, I can treat them in the way that I want. That is at the root of just looking down on someone, and that is what is at the root of the racism that brought about slavery in this country. It's pride. It's nothing else. It's pride. And you see, Jesus came to fix that, and he did it by dying on the cross. And that is why Paul commands us in verse 11 to remember. I don't know if you guys know this, but that's actually the only command in the first three chapters of Ephesians. Now, chapters four through six are chock full of commands. He makes up for it there. But in the first three chapters, the only command, the only imperative that Paul gives is remember. Remember who you were and remember what Christ has done for you. And the reason for that is, is that it is impossible to be arrogant as you gaze upon the cross. It's impossible to be prideful when you look at what Jesus has done and you say, I am a sinner and I am not worthy to have God's love and he died for me anyway to bring me back to him. You can't possibly be arrogant when you get that. You can't, it's, it's just not possible. And that is why only Jesus is really going to be able to solve all the enmity and all the strife that we have amongst us today because the problem's in here. Only in being drawn near to the cross can we be broken, can we be humbled, and can we be reconciled to God and then be able to be reconciled with each other. So, that was a lot, right? What difference does this make in the day-to-day? How do we carry this out? Several things. The first is exactly what we just said, and it's the command that Paul gives. It's remember. Um, Kevin pointed it out so beautifully in the confession earlier that we need to hold on to the cross and never move away from it. That's why we sang the song earlier, Be Thou My Vision. It's as we remember and meditate and ponder and wrestle with what Jesus has done, that breaks us and draws us back to him. And that's first and foremost. Um, A really important part of that 
is daily confession and repentance. If you want to be drawn closer to other men, confess your sin and pray to God for repentance daily because that will forcibly draw you back to the cross and break you down and the arrogance that we naturally have will be wiped away. So if later in this week, if you're like, man, I want to be drawn close to this person, confess and repent your sins to God. Thirdly, I want to ask you this. What, what are your relationships like right now? Is there somebody that you look down on? Is there somebody that you are estranged from and you refuse to go after to try and pursue? Is there a sin that's causing a barrier between you and somebody else that you refuse to repent of? Do you think that whatever conflict comes or strife that you're always right and the other person's always wrong? Brothers and sisters, all these things are arrogance. They're pride. Those are manifestations of the root of all the stuff that we've been talking about. You know, verse 17 here says that Jesus came to preach peace to you who are far away and to you who are near. And he's preaching peace to us now. James has a ton to say about reconciliation. Um, Jesus says that if you go to offer a sacrifice and your brother has something against you, that you're to leave your sacrifice at the altar and go be reconciled to your brother. So if right now as I'm saying this, the Spirit is bringing someone to your mind, whether it be a family member, whether it be somebody else in this church, whoever it is, if he's bringing somebody to your mind that you're thinking of right now that you're estranged from, I plea with you to try and be reconciled to that person. If he's bringing up something that you need to repent of, I plea to you to repent of it now. Now, it's entirely possible that reconciliation won't happen. It's a two-way street, right? And Romans, Paul says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. So it's not always possible. It doesn't just depend on you. But if there's a broken relationship, have you done everything that you can to reconcile to that person? Because Jesus died to bring men together. And if we are going to do, as Paul says in Galatians 4, and boast in nothing but the cross of Christ, we have to try and live out peace in this world because that's part of what Jesus died for. Finally, I would ask, are you searching and taking advantage of opportunities to draw near to people who are different from you? Maybe somebody that is a different religion. Maybe someone who's a different denomination. Maybe it's someone who's a different race. Maybe someone who's of a different political party. Right? That's alienation too. Because... Jesus didn't just die to bring us individually to God and individually together. He died to bring groups of people together as well. What are the opportunities that God is placing in front of you that you should maybe prayerfully consider taking advantage of? You actually just heard of two earlier in the service, right? We've got a lunch this afternoon for the um, International Campus Connections. And 
That's a ministry that we have that works with international students that are here in Charlotte. And then there was that beautiful, beautiful video about our ministry in India that we do, that we partner with. Those are opportunities. Maybe those aren't what God's leading you to, but the point is that there are plenty of opportunities all around us to be doing these and to be pursuing these things. Are we? I would encourage you to do so. Finally, I want to end on a note of hope. This can seem difficult. This can seem impossible, right? Reconciliation? You don't know my situation. You don't know how bad it is. You don't know what they've done. You don't know what I've done. The thing is, remember the alienation that was between the Jews and the Gentiles? I went through all of that to show you just how bad it was. They hated each other. Yet in the first century, in the church, you had Jews and Gentiles drawing together in one body, living together, marrying, and worshiping God together. There's hope that it will actually happen in the here and now. Reconciliation is possible because it's happened in the first century. Because Jesus has died and he has risen to draw men together and that is the power of the cross. And if he can bring Jews and Gentiles together, which he has, he can bring anyone together because Jesus is far, far more powerful than any obstacle we can possibly put in his way, including ourselves. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that while we were your enemies, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That we were cut off and alienated and far from you and you pursued us with a relentless pursuit to the point of giving us your son to become man and to die. Thank you so much, Father. Let us never move past the cross. Open our eyes and lift our eyes up to see and to remember and to meditate and to live out life in light of what you have done. And then, Father, we ask that you would forgive us for the ways in which we have contributed towards pain and alienation in our fellow brethren, here in this church and just in life in large. Father, forgive us for that. Thank you that there is forgiveness for that in Jesus. And I ask that you would help us to be agents of peace in this world, to pursue the unity of the Spirit, because that's something that you died for. In your name we pray. Amen.